Okay, we're in Acts chapter 20, and the title of the sermon tonight is Having an Acts 20 Vision. Now, I'm sure you've heard the term have an Acts 20 20 vision, but I'm going to talk about things in this whole chapter because I think that we need to get a vision for this chapter. It's not just about soul winning. And obviously, soul winning is a big deal, and there's a part of my point of the sermon, uh, one of my points of the sermon is concerning this, but there's a lot of things that happen in the Christian life, and we need to understand that uh, things aren't always going to be hearts and flowers and puppy dog tails and whatever else you want to say. The Christian life is a battle. And the Christian life, you know, there's going to be times where you know, we're being betrayed, we're being maligned and lied about. And there's also going to be great times when, you know, there, there's great victories like today having 11 salvations. And just this whole last couple of weeks has been victory after victory, right? We haven't really had any uh, hard fought battles to fight except for just uh, picking up our feet and going to preaching the gospel. And it's been a great time, and I'm very happy about that, happy about our trip. And I, I do want to thank once more the church for having us here. And obviously, you know, it's, I'm the pastor, but, but, uh, <laughs> but hey, you guys, you know, made sure the trip happened. And, brother, you know, I've taken seven COVID tests since I left home. So, um, but yeah, my nose is a little sore, but uh, I'll be okay. But uh Anyway, you know, I just want to thank you once again. You know, this is a great church. And again, once again, you've exceeded my expectations. I just want to thank Miss Lisa also for all the hospitality. And she really cooked up some great meals for us while we were here. And uh, just just the, the fellowship with the Taverner family has been great. And Brother Ian is, a, is already a good friend of mine. I mean, we've, we've been working together for a while, but like getting to know their family, like they're a great family. You guys are so blessed to have them. So let's have a word of prayer. We'll start the sermon, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much uh, for this great church and for all the great uh, victories that they've already won. Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen them, Lord, uh, because, uh, Lord, you know that uh, sometimes the Christian life can be a battle. Lord, I pray that you'd help each and every single person here to stick with the Christian life and to not uh, get knocked out of the battle, not knocked out of the race, Lord, that they'd finish uh, the race and uh, they'd, they'd keep the faith, Lord. Pray you'd help me to preach this sermon, fill me with your spirit, and also boldness and power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so Acts chapter number 20. Having an Acts 20 vision. Well, one thing that we need to have a vision about from Acts chapter 20 is there will be uproars and treachery. There will be uproars and treachery. What's it say in verse number one? It says, and after the uproar was ceased. Well, what uproars are talking about? Well, he just got through going through this great is Diana of the Ephesians uh, whole issue where, you know, they were trying to rip him from limb to limb for what? Preaching the gospel, getting people saved, having people that were given over to idols, get rid of them. And, you know, when when the devil's people start having, you know, their businesses damaged, then that's going to cause an uproar. When the people around here start getting saved and when people around England start getting saved and baptized and their lives are starting to change, you know, there's going to be a big target on the back of this church. And, you know, things go easy at the beginning. Believe me, I've done this before. I've, I'm living this life right now. And when we first started the church, everything was all great. There wasn't a lot of battles to go through. But, like, as I've gone through in the last five years, there's been some battles. You know, there's been some treachery. There's been some uproars. You know, and when you go out soul winning, there's, sometimes there's an uproar, isn't there? Sometimes people are yelling and screaming at you and all this other stuff. But look what it says in verse 1. It says, and after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much, much exhortation, he came into Greece and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. So one thing you want to notice is there's always going to be someone laying in wait. Back then, you know, they had the Jews were always laying away. They were always traveling and trying to intercept Paul. They were trying to kill him. They wanted to kill, they wanted to murder Paul because, you know, the man that once destroyed the Christian faith was now their, their greatest opponent. And so these Jews hated Christ. They obviously had him nailed to a cross. That doesn't mean you like somebody when you do something like that, right? So Paul the Apostle, you know, he became a Christian and what his friends, his old friends, all these guys were friends that he used to be, you know, he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel, you know, he knew a lot of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, you know, at this point, they all want to kill him, 
So don't be surprised when people trade against you and your family betrays you. That's what the, that's what the Bible says is going to happen. I mean, it shouldn't be a big surprise to us, but it always seems to be. And a lot of the things in this chapter, you know, we, we forget that the Bible is real, okay? And when we go through our lives, you know, the book of Acts is showing us things that we're going to have to endure also. And this chapter just kind of encapsulates some of the Christian life that's going to be hard sometimes, you know, and, and people just not being able to endure sound Bible preaching. It's just the Bible comes to life as you live the Christian life. True Christians are going to go through these types of battles and treachery. And have you ever heard that term with friends like you who needs enemies? Ever heard that term before? That's actually the truth. You know, there's people in this life, in the Christian life, even people maybe even amongst us in this room that might turn against you. They might trade against you. They might be one person one day, and then the next week they hate you, and they hate this church. You know, that's that's one of the things that I've seen happen. That's so strange to me that somebody could just be like, yeah, I love this church. I love all this stuff. I love soul winning. And, and then the next thing, they're just your bitter enemy. It's because there's people that, uh, you know, are just phonies. They're fakes. They're not real. They're spurious. Is that how you'd say it? Okay, spurious, yeah. That means not genuine, not real. And so, uh, but sometimes people could just, you know, they want to go to whatever different kind of church. They don't want to be in a battle like this. And that makes, you know, splits type, uh, splits happen, right? Uh, so like, you know, the Apostle Paul over John Mark split up. And so with um, Barnabas, and then he chose Silas as his missionary partner after that. But, um, you know, Paul had a, a thing where he had friends and they would betray him. Look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10. So Paul had people that like traveled with him and helped him minister and things like that. But there's going to be times when there's tumults. There's going to be times when there's uproars. And we need to stick with our leadership when those kinds of battles happen. Because, you know, there's a lot of misinformation that gets spread out there. People are always just trying to just lie about, uh, especially pastor friends of mine, yours truly. People will try to lie and, 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 and say things about us that aren't true. And the gullible are going are gonna to believe it. You know, the gullible people in this world are going to believe it. The simple believe everything, right? And sometimes... The first thing that someone says that accuses you, people automatically believe that person without even ever coming and talking to you personally. It's just so weird how that seems to be the case, but it's true. Um, so 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. So Demas was one of the Apostle Paul's companions and went soul winning with him and went and, and did all these things with him, uh, tearing the world up, you know, turning the world upside down. But look what it says. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. So instead of loving God, instead of loving the thing, you know, soul winning and doing all the things that a missionary would do, he loved this present world more. And so when someone loves the world more, there's a big chance that they're going to just go back to what they were before. And it says he's departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans unto Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark. So after all these years later, now he wants Mark to come back. So he was, you know, this is Apostle Paul. You know, maybe he wasn't wrong, but he necessarily wasn't right either. So Mark, you know, he, he went back and, and didn't go to the work with them, but apparently he redeemed himself. You know, he, he actually was a faithful man. And it says, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So the Apostle Paul had a change of mind about Mark, didn't he? So the Christian life, you know, is is measured in decades. We're gonna we're gonna we're supposed to be measured in decades, obviously. But you know, sometimes people are gonna forsake us. Sometimes people are gonna betray us. You know, sometimes you're only gonna have one person standing with you. That's what the Apostle Paul went through. Do you think he deserved to have everybody forsake him? No, he was a great man of God, wasn't he? It says in Tychicus verse twelve, "Have I sent to Ephesus the cloak that I left in Troas and Carpus?" When thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments, Alexander the coppersmith, did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his work. So it doesn't really say what evil he did to him. But this man, Alexander, who is obviously a trade, is being a coppersmith, it says he did him much evil. 
But what's, what's the Apostle Paul said? The Lord reward him according to his works. So the Apostle Paul said, doesn't say, well, when I see Alexander the coppersmith, we're going to have a fight. You know, he didn't say that, you know, because the Lord is the one that fights for us. The Lord is the one that avenges us. You know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so we need to just kind of give those things over to God's hand. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you get angry and you, and you, you, you wouldn't mind, you know, working somebody over. But the thing is, as a Christian, we're not, that's not what we're supposed to do. As a pastor, I'm not supposed to be a striker. You know, I can only just imagine those things, and then I just got to put those to bed, right? <laughs> the old man wants to lash out. The old yeah. man wants to just, you know, settle it how I used to settle it. But that's not what God's called us to do. Amen. Look at verse 15. Of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. There's people, you know, that are going to be just this thorn in our side, always trying to, to, uh, to turn people away from the faith. These betrayers, these uh, treacherous people, you know, and there's going to be people that can greatly withstand words. You know, this guy wasn't, it doesn't say he was Alexander the Pharisee. He's Alexander the coppersmith. He's just a regular guy. But obviously he has, you know, some kind of satanic gift to be able to greatly withstand the words of, you know, if they're withstanding the words, he says our words, you know, the apostles' words. So these guys, you know, these evil people, they can seem to be right. They can turn people away from the faith, you know, but in the last sermon I preached, I, you know, we have to be able to withstand these people and resist these gainsayers and turn them aside with our preaching. You know, sometimes people are just going to believe who they want to believe. And that's just the way it is. Look at verse 16. It says, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it be, that it may not be laid to their charge. You know, there might be a situation that comes up in the future where, Ian's having to make a stand or I'm having to make a stand, you know, you know, God forbid that all men should forsake brother Ian. God forbid that all men should forsake me. That's what happened to the apostle Paul though. So we shouldn't be surprised, you know, when that kind of stuff happens where people are just like, you know what, I'm done. And I don't know what, why they would just not stand with him except for they were being threatened with death or something like that. Maybe that's what it was. I, I'm not really sure, but it's, but look what it, here's a comfort. You know, to you, when everybody forsakes you, nobody likes you, the dog won't even play with you, you know, you know what, God's always going to be there for you. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Look at verse 17, it says, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. See, the, God is always going to be there to strengthen you and to stand with you when you're on the side of right. It says that by me, the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So the apostle Paul was delivered, even though no man stood with him, even though he had no allies, God stood with him. God strengthened him. Look at verse 18. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. So, and even if we do get martyred at some point, you know, God is going to give us a better resurrection. You know, it doesn't feel good to go through persecution. It doesn't feel good at all. It doesn't feel good to be threatened, to have these types of people threaten you and people betray you, people you thought you were friends and they turn on you and they stab you in the back. You know, it doesn't feel good. But you know what? God's going to comfort you and God's going to get you through those times. Number two, um, the second thing out of this chapter is that long preaching and fellowship are biblical. Now, that's a good thing we can get from this chapter. Long preaching and fellowship are biblical. You know, and maybe I will crack it at 10, 12 tonight. You know, see who falls out the window. No, I'm just kidding. We got food. We can't do that to Baptists, okay? We got it. <laughs> that would be a wicked sin. No, but we need to understand that long preaching and fellowship are biblical. Don't be weak, all right? Stay with the, the preaching. Hey, it might be a long sermon, but maybe you need to hear something out of it. And I don't, I don't think everybody hangs on my every word. You know, if you get something out of the sermon, though, that's a good thing. And the longer I preach, the more you might get something out of it. So, but look at verse 7 in Acts chapter 20. Look back in our text. Long preaching is a biblical concept. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 7. It says, and upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together, so they're going to church, right, to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and continued his speech until when midnight, midnight. 
that's some long preaching right there. I don't, I don't think I've ever done that before. You know, maybe it was midnight in a different country or something, but like never have I preached that long. And I preached some long sermons. I mean, I can't get some, the, my first sermon here, I preached an hour and 20 minutes. So that was, that was a long sermon. And, uh, but you know, some, you know, you got a lot to say sometimes. And while I'm over here, why not unload the whole truck? While I'm here, why not give you as much as I can possibly give you? Because I'm not going to be back for another year or so. So, but the Apostle Paul continued his speech till midnight, and there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, see, it's biblical, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Because apparently they didn't care about the building code. And so Paul was worthy of death. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he was long preaching. It put somebody to sleep, you know. It put Eutychus to sleep. And, you know, his name is Eutychus, and, and they, the joke is that Eutychus, too, if you would have had to sit into that preaching for that long. But anyway, it's a stupid joke. But <laughs> still funny, though. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he was long preaching, and, you know, Eutychus fell down from that third loft, was taken up dead, and it says the apostle uh, that Paul went down and fell on him and embraced, embracing him, said, trouble not yourself, for his life is in him. And so what did he do? He went down and he rose him back from the dead. So, you know, be careful about falling asleep in church services. You know, you might just fall down dead, right? Just kidding. Like there's people already out there sleeping right now. But <laughs> I know you're tired, guys. It's all right. So... <laughs> You're already asleep. This sermon is for you. Wake up. No. But it says in verse 11, it says, When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. So not only was the Apostle Paul long in preaching, but he was long in fellowship, wasn't he? I mean, he, they hung out and talked together until the break of day. And it says, and so he departed. So he pre he preached till midnight. Then they talked in fellowship until the daylight came. It was, what, six in the morning, five, six in the morning? And then he left. So, um, and it says, and they brought the young man alive and were not little comforted. So, you know, the thing is that, you know, there's nothing wrong with long preaching, okay? So if Ian's going long sometime, if Pastor Thompson goes long tonight, and you don't get your fish and chips right on time, I'll try to I'll try to do that, but that's, there's nothing wrong with it. That's biblical preaching. So you know what's not biblical preaching is for someone to get up and preach for 15 minutes and give you a poem, one scripture verse, you know, and some stupid, you know, three or four stupid stories about how they're the the, the star of the show or whatever in every story. That's not biblical preaching. Now there's nothing wrong with telling stories. There's nothing wrong with, wrong with having a poem or a, or whatever every once in a while. But, you know, you should be preaching the Bible. And so when you come to Sure Foundation Baptist Church, you should be hearing the Bible. Not one verse and then a bunch of stories and a bunch of other fluff. Amen. You know, I, I just can't understand how these preachers get up and just, they, they do anything but preach the Bible. And they just have one scripture they go to. Have you ever been in a church like that? Yes. And you're just like, you're like, they read that one scripture, and you're just like waiting for them to go to the next one. <laughs> come on, just give me some Bible. But then you'll come to a church like this, oh man, he preached too long. Well, if it's only an hour or whatever, that's not too long. Because the Apostle Paul, that, that Sunday night service probably started at 6 o'clock at night, you know, just like most, or 4 or 5 at night. I mean, he's preaching till midnight. That's like a Pastor Thompson, Pastor Shelley a uh, combined sermon, right? Yeah. So anyways, I'm teasing. We, we both can preach some long sermons, though. But uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's biblical. And so and a, a thing in Acts 20 that you, should, that you should, you know, pick up on is that biblical preaching is sometimes long preaching. And fellowship is sometimes long. And fellowship usually includes food. So amen, we're going to have some food tonight and fellowship together. And uh Oh, we'll be flying out on a jet plane tomorrow. So number three tonight, uh, things you should get from Acts chapter 20 uh, to, to have a, an Acts 20 vision 
realize that biblical preaching doesn't hold back or spare. And I, and I kind of brought this point up this morning, but I kind of want to expound on it a little bit more. Let's look at verse number 17 in our text. It says, And from Miletus he went to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying weight of the Jews, and how I have, oh, excuse me, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. So he calls these elders of Ephesus to him, and he says, hey, I just want to remind you how I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. Nothing. And so what does that mean? He preached the whole counsel of God. And so as a, as a preacher, and biblical preaching should be preaching the whole counsel of God. And you know, and it says, and have taught you publicly. See, when we go and, and we have a, a church service in here, but we put that on YouTube, that's public, isn't it? Amen. That means anybody in the public can view that sermon, and we're not trying to keep back anything from anybody. Why do we go on YouTube? People criticize us about that. There's a lot of preachers that won't even go on YouTube, and they just think it's, you know, we're just trying to be popular or something. No, I'm trying to make Christ popular. That's who I want to be popular. I want Jesus Christ to be popular. I want his words to be popular. I want his words to go out through the whole earth. That's the reason why we have our stuff on YouTube. I remember when I first started the, you know, the church with Pastor Menes, and it was Verity Baptist Church, I said, Pastor, do I have to go on YouTube? I didn't want to go on YouTube. It's, I'm just... It, I just, it's not something that I just enjoy, you know, but it's something that's necessary. Why is it necessary? Because the whole world needs to know about Christ. Yeah. And hey, there's people that can't travel here. There's people stuck in other countries. I, we get emails. We get all kinds of messages from people in other countries or people that are in some desolate part of the United States and they don't have a good church for miles. They don't have a good church that they can go to. And sometimes... They just need to be able to get some biblical preaching. Or maybe their church is lame and they wish they had a church like this. You know, you guys are very privileged to have a church like this. And even yeah. though you have to travel for some miles to get here, hey, you, at least you got a church in England now you can go to. Because I saw you guys struggling. I saw the struggle. I know the struggle because the struggle was real for me too at one point. You know, there was a point when we didn't really have a great church to go to in our area. And so, you know, we started that church there in Vancouver, and it's grown. It's doing well. We've started other churches. We have a church in Canada that's doing well. It's growing. And we have this church here. We have a church in Spokane that's thriving. And I want the whole world to be filled with the doctrine of Christ, not Pastor Thompson's doctrine, the, the doctrine that's found in the Bible. And so in order to do that, we need to not keep back anything that's profitable. And so sometimes the sermons get a little bit gnarly, don't they? Sometimes the sermons get a little uncomfortable, and you're like, ah, oh, man, that's, that's rough. But sometimes we have to preach the rough stuff too. And you're like, well, you preach about it too much. Well, it's out of season, isn't it? Some of this preaching is out of season. And, you know, th there's just a lot of things that we preach about, that I preach about, that would be ve that's very upsetting to people. It doesn't just have to be about the homos. It's a lot of stuff, just about how you dress standards, hair standards, you know, just uh, Bible versions. Now people get upset about that. But we have to keep, we have to preach what's profitable unto everybody. We can't hold anything back. And biblical preaching does not hold back. It does not spare. And, you know, we have to teach it publicly. And the Bible says, and from house to house. Paul preached everything. He threw everything in. He unloaded the whole truck. He threw all everything in, including the kitchen sink, right? Turn to Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1. You know, and, and people get upset by yelling and screaming and pounding on the pulpit and stomping and clapping and, Arrah! you know, preaching loud and preaching hard. People get upset about this stuff. Why? Why would they get upset about it? The Bible teaches us that this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to get up and lift up our voices, right? Look at Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1. It says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. 
Have you ever heard Joel Osteen lift up his voice like that before? Never. You've never heard it. He's just like, don't let the devil steal your joy. God's not mad at you. He's never mad. That's not true. God gets mad at people. And when we're out, you know, this guy, this bozo we were talking to earlier, when we're out soul winning, and he's just try, trying to tell us all this stuff about Hinduism and all this other stuff. And he's like, Jesus just teaches about love. I was like, well, he teaches about other things too, you know. And he does. You know, obviously, love is a big part of the Christian religion. I'm not denying that. I think it's the most important thing we do. We, When we go and knock on people's doors, we're loving people, aren't we? We're yeah. loving our neighbor as ourself, like the Bible says. People are like, well, you guys just try to hide all the stuff and all the hate with going and just say, well, as long as we're going soul winning. Well, you know, it's going soul winning is a big thing. A lot of churches don't do it. Yeah. Are there churches in England that do it? I'm sure that there are. Maybe they just don't call it soul winning. They call it evangelism, which there's nothing wrong with that word. You know, evangelist, evangelism, you know, it's a good word. But why do people hate the word soul winning so much? Why do pastors hate the word soul winning? Because they're not doing it. Because they're soul losing. That's why. They're soul losers. And so why would they hate something? Hey, soul winning, that's a positive statement, isn't it? We've saved someone's soul. Oh, you, you don't save anybody. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We help the process. You know, we're, we didn't die on the cross, but we tell people about the Jesus that died on the cross and rose from the dead. And we need to lift up our voices. The Bible says to cry aloud. That means it's not talking about your tears. It's talking about crying out, crying with your voice loudly. Spare not. Don't spare people's feelings. You know, you got to step on some toes every once in a while when you're preaching. Biblical preaching does not hold back or spare. When somebody's doing something wicked and it gets called out in a sermon, then, you know, it just gets called out in a sermon. You know, pick up your toes, count, make sure you count all your toes, and then go home and get it right. Or get it right where you're sitting. You know, the, the word of God is, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even through the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints of the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so when the Bible's preached, it's going to cut you to the quick. It's going to cut you where you need to be cut and maybe slice off a chunk of fat that needs to be sliced off. You know, the Bible says that we're going to be pruned. You know, we need to uh, realize that God's going to work on us until the day of Christ. You know, he's going to work on us. And how does he do that? Well, he perfects the saints by the preaching of his word. And we're not supposed to spare. We're supposed to lift up our voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression. So we're supposed to show people the sins. How do we do that? Bible preaching. The house of Jacob. You know, who's the house of Jacob now? Who's the Israel of God right now? It's saved people, right? And so this, this doesn't just go away after the New Testament. No, it still applies today. Jesus wants us, the Lord wants us to preach hard and to preach the Bible. Look at Ezekiel chapter 6, verse number 11. Ezekiel chapter 6, verse number 11. It's not like this is just the only verse that says this. How did the prophets preach? How did the prophets act? Were they a bunch of sissies? No. Were they wearing pink shirts out in the wilderness? Was John the Baptist wearing a pink shirt out there with a little alligator on it? <laughs> no offense. You know, if you like the alligator shirt, the, what's it called? The Costa or something like that? Hey, I like those shirts, but not a pink one. <laughs> John the Baptist was in a coat of camel's hair. You know, he was eating locusts and wild honey. He was a man's man. He had a belt. That means he had pants, right? He wasn't wearing some dress. I, I've seen multiple people, men wearing dresses here. And they're just like, they're part of a religion. It's like, what in the world are you wearing, bro? Have some dignity. It's just unbelievable to me. It's like, bro, you're in a dress. Do you realize that? They got their little cosplay, you know, wizard outfits and the, the friar. We saw a guy, that, you know, he, he was like a Catholic guy. He had like the whips on him where he whips himself in the back or whatever. And then he had like 
what do they call those prayer beads? You know, like he was like he's Indiana Jones or something. He had these things like hanging on. And he just we're at the train station and he just walked through and was like, Oh, it's the Friar Tuck. You know? But he looked, you know, he had the like the little leather belt, you know. He looked like he just, you know, came out of the monastery from the fifteen hundreds. It's like their outfits, their their costumes, you know. But look what Ezekiel chapter six, verse eleven says, Thus saith the Lord God, smite with the hand, stamp with the foot. And say, alas, for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel. See, it's once again, the house of Israel. For they, ha they shall fall by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. See, you know, as Christians, we can't lose our salvation, but God can still put the pestilence on us. He can still curse our lives. And you know what he's going to do if we're not keeping his commandments? He's going to curse our lives. He's going to curse us. If we're not tithing, he's going to curse us. You know, if we're committing some, some sins and not... You know, uh, making those things right, he's going to curse us. You know, and is he waiting, like I was saying at the, at the door, you know, I say this to, to people at the door, I say he's not waiting with the big cricket mallet, just waiting to smash you in the face every time you do something wrong. But, you know, if you just keep doing wrong and you never get corrected by the preaching, then God is going to come down on you and he's going to hit you full, full steam ahead with that cricket thing, whatever you call it. What is it called? A cricket? What is it? <laughs> Bat. Oh, it's actually called a bat. That's just like a little wide one. Is that because they can't hit the, the ball? It's got to be extra wide. A baseball, a bat is like this big, right? Okay, anyway, sorry. <laughs> about to start talking about some American football here, and you guys are going to throw me out. But anyway. <laughs> true sport. <laughs> None of this Queen's Rules stuff, okay? Anyway. Huh. Sorry. I've lost the crowd now. Sorry. <laughs> I know how to play croquet. Queen's rules, right? Anyway. Well, don't you wear those little polo shirts when you play croquet? So, <laughs> I like croquet, actually. So anyway, but that's not what I'm talking about tonight. So, But, uh, you know, people ask, why do you yell? Why do you smack the pulpit? Because God said to? Why do you cry aloud and spare not? Because God said to? It's important that the Bible gets preached in this church. And, you know, if you get up to preach, hey, have some respect for this pulpit. Guys, when you get up here, don't just preach your own agenda, your own hobby horse, whatever it is you want everybody to know that you know that nobody else knows. You know that? Hey, get up here and preach the Bible. Yeah. You know what's going to make me happy is when I get up and see men preach the Bible. And not about, you know, obviously, we're not trying to get YouTube clicks. We're trying to get you to be a better preacher. Yeah. So if you have a desire to preach in this church, get up and just preach the Bible. It doesn't have to be some, uh, you know, thing about the six, six, I figured out the mark of the beast and what it really is. You know, there's nothing wrong with preaching stuff. If you're if you're more advanced and you know how to preach that kind of stuff, then that's, that's cool. I don't have a problem with that. But like, hey, just get up here and preach the straight doctrines. What about, what about baptism? What about salvation? What about eternal security? And just the, the easy truths of the Bible and then start getting into this more complicated stuff. You know, you got to have the, the milk first, right? And before you can tr just try to chew on that meat. So, you know, how, how is it that these sissy britches, sissy britches preachers out here, they get up and they're afraid to speak what the Bible says. They only preach the positive stuff, don't they? They just, that's all they are is positive only preachers. And the, the Bible is actually pretty negative. If you've actually read it before, there's some pretty negative stuff. Like I try not to read Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel back to back to back anymore. I try to mix it up a little bit because it, it can get depressing when you get, when you finally got into Ezekiel, it's like, man, these people are wicked, you know, and, and it can be depressing, you know, because, the, but that's just how people are. You know, but what do you, how do you see them preaching? They preach hard. They preach the Bible, right? And so look at verse uh, 27 in Acts chapter 20. You know, people have been preaching these sissy sermons for over 20 years now. And what's that, what's that gotten us? Do you think that our, this nation's better off with that kind of preaching? Absolutely not. Why do people get shock and, and, and they're in horror when they hear a, a hard preaching sermon from one, one of the pastor friends that I have? 
or just a hard preaching sermon by a Baptist in general. They, why do they just, ah, what is this? This is Bible preaching. This is the truth, yeah. This is the truth, and God wants us to preach the truth. Look at what it says in verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So he has not shunned. He has not not preached it. He's preached the whole counsel of God unto them. It says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. That's what an elder does. They oversee the flock to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And that's exactly what he did tell Peter. He said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. That's what pastors are supposed to do. We're supposed to feed the sheep. We're supposed to oversee the flock. And part of that is not shunning to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And so, hey, if you're offended about something in the Bible, then you need to, you're the one that's wrong. Yeah. You're like, well, you didn't have to preach it like that. That's not what the Bible says. We've got to get up and rip hard on sin. That's what's going to fix you. You've got a problem. It's called sin. And the only way to get sin out of your life is hard preaching. Don't just shut your ears off. Don't shut your eyes off. Don't close your eyes like Eutychus and fall asleep. Hey, listen to what the Word of God's telling you and fix what's going on with you. Fix your life. Fix your errors. Fix the problems that you have. Hey, if you're not getting you know, edified by God's preaching, by the preaching of the Bible, then something's wrong with you. It's not something wrong with the preacher. The yeah. preacher's supposed to do that. And you know, in a church like this, that's what you're going to get. So let's move on to point number four. Point number four is biblical soul winning does not hold back the truth. Biblical soul winning does not hold back the truth. Let's look at Acts 20.20. Now in Acts in, in uh, 2020, I thought that year was going to go way different than it did. But here's what I've learned about that as a pastor is that you can't, you know, your plans might not fit what God's plan is for that year. Just because it's like, yeah, it's 2020-2020, Acts 20-20 vision. But that's not how it went. We had the like the worst year sowing that we ever had at our church for 2020. Now we still had a lot of people saved, but it just wasn't, you know, it was just like kind of like a, a shortened season. You know, sometimes like teams go on strike, you know, in America, you know, where those those professional players are. They go on strike and they have short seasons, and it's like they don't have, you know, people don't have as productive of a, of a year in the sport or whatever. It's like an asterisk next to the year because it just didn't turn out the way it was supposed to. Well, that's kind of how it happened in 2020, is things didn't really turn out the way they were supposed to. And so we can't just, we can make plans, but you know, just because we make plans doesn't mean they're going to happen. But one thing I do know is that we need to not hold back in our soul winning presentations. Sometimes we have a tendency to just, eh, you know, I don't want to offend them. But sometimes, if someone's 69 years old, you know nobody's ever going to go to their door again. You need to tell that person the truth. Yeah. You don't have to go, yeah, God went to hell, you know. It doesn't have to be like that, but you can just say, look, you know, the Bible says that Jesus, you know, is the Son of God. He died for your sins. He wants, you know, he's the only way of salvation. And if you don't believe that truth, you are going to go to hell. You can say it just like that, you know, and if somebody gets mad about it, well, where are they going to go? Hell number two? You know, we, we, we don't want to offend people, but sometimes you have to tell people the truth. You can't hold back in your soul winning presentation. And how do we do soul winning? Well, we do it door to door. Like the Bible says, look what Acts 20, 20 says. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you and have showed you and have taught you publicly. And what's it say? From house to house. How did Paul get that church started in Ephesus? Well, he went from house to house, knocking on people's doors. You know what we went out and did today? We went from house to house, knocking on people's doors. And 11 people got saved today. Praise God. And that's because you didn't want to hold back. You wanted to show people. You know, and sometimes we, we try too hard, right? But, you know, I don't really fault people for that unless it just gets into the ridiculous mode. But, like, if you try to say, well, hey, you know, I'm going to give you a verse. And then that person, like, listens to the verse. They're okay with you giving it to them. But then that person, you know, you ask them, hey, are you sure you don't want to hear it? And they say, no, I don't have a problem with people doing that. 
I think that's good because sometimes people do still want to hear, but most of the time, once they've said no the first time, they're done, right? But there's nothing wrong with that. And you know why people do that? I know why people do that because they want people to get saved. Amen. That's why. Yeah. And you don't want to spare them. You don't want to hold back the truth to them. You want them to hear the truth. Mm-hmm. But the facts are is it's just some people just will not get saved. Right. They don't care. They don't want to hear it. But we should still do our job. We should still knock every single door. And regardless, of, you know, sometimes after you've been so wanting for a long time, you see the body language. You see the look on their face. Yeah. You know they're not going to hear it. You know what their answer is going to be. But you know what? You still have to say what you say anyway. And there was a few doors I, I I was like, and they're like, nah, <laughs> not interested, not nah, nah, mate, not interested. <laughs> I was like, I mean, probably three or four doors, huh, brother Ben? Yeah. So, <laughs> but you know, if they shut you down, they shut you down. But you should still, you know, sometimes you'll say, well, hey, you know, just trying to invite you to church, and they're like, and they'll say, okay, and then you're like. Are you 100% sure? And they're like closing the door. <laughs> closing the door. You know what I'm saying? They do do that. And you're like, but wait, there's more. <laughs> but hey, when we get the chance, we got to give them all we got. Amen. We got to give them all we got. Look what it says in verse 21. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. We got to tell people, hey, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. What it says, and now, behold, I go bound to the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. See, when you go out and preach the gospel, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, obviously, none of us have ever been maybe physically attacked out there, but Paul didn't live that reality. Like anybody could have turned on him at any minute. He was actually going through some severe persecution. And that could be how it is for us one day. But right now, we don't have that problem. You know, if someone gets mad and and tells you you're weird or whatever, who cares? If someone cusses you out at the door, that's not a big deal. It's when, you know, they start sicking their dogs on you, you know, using you to light their lamps in their garden, things like that. That's when we have to get a little concerned, right? Like Nero. But it says, you know, the things that, that he, he didn't know the things that were going to happen to him once he went there. But it says, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city. So God wants us to witness in every city. And we're a far cry from that right now. But we're trying. We're trying to get it done. You know, we just need a whole bunch of people to get saved in all these cities. And we can start with, you know, the Holy Ghost is going to witness in every city, regardless of whether it's our church or not. But we got to get there. We got to get to these cities. We got to get to these towns. We got to get to these small towns and big cities, little cities. But there's a lot of ground to cover. There's like, I think, 7.9 billion people in the world right now. And we're just like carving a little tiny dent in that. But, you know, God can do great and mighty works through a small amount of people. He can. And that's why, like, YouTube is a big deal. That's why some of the technology that we have is a big deal because people can still hear the word of God through this multimedia and all this other stuff. And look, I'm not big into like, what. so Facebook is like, you know, basically you can't say anything on there without getting in trouble. I'm always going to the clink because of things I say. But what is the other one? Instagram. Like I really don't understand Instagram. It's just like you're taking pictures or something. Anyway, but I'm not big on selfies either. So... (laughs) But, you know, we can use this stuff to reach people with the gospel. And I think that we should try to do that because save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. See, that's the, the attitude that Paul had was that, hey, none of these things move me. Whether someone's going to kill me or not, whether someone's going to yell at me or not, whether someone's going to cuss me out at the door or not, You know, what's he say? I don't care. You know, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself that I might finish my course with joy. Remember what we were talking about this morning? Finishing. You know, in basketball, I'm sorry, basketball, I'm going to have to bring it. You guys know what basketball is, right? Yeah. In basketball, Michael Jordan was a great finisher, wasn't he? When he, when he didn't just roll up and just like do little finger rolls and stuff like that, he just like, ah, jammed it on people. 
That's that was called finishing. When you get to the basket, you you want to finish so you score the points, right? And so that's kind of what he's talking about. We need to finish. You know, we need to finish. You know, if you're if you're a, a sports team and you're up, you know, finish them off. You know, those people that are just like, oh, you're you're playing not to win. You ever heard of that? They're playing not to win. They're like just easing up and trying to play safe. We don't need to play safe. We need to go full steam ahead and press on the mark so that we can finish our course with joy. And that was his big goal, wasn't it? He talked about it a lot. He talked about finishing. He talked about, you know, getting to that marker, right? And so that's what we need to, to do is, you know, when it comes to soul winning, you know, we need to finish the map, right? Get the maps finished. Brother Ian was talking about the maps. You know, we got to finish each area. Why? Because it's a goal. It's a mark we're meeting. It's a mark we're setting. And in that mark, in that goal, we're trying to reach this whole city with the gospel. We can't hold anything back. We got to give it all to him. And the apostle Paul didn't hold anything back, even unto his own hurt. So it says um, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. And, you know, what, what's the good thing about, you know, giving everything we can when we're soul winning? Because nobody can say we didn't try. That person at the door that you tried with every effort, and they just went, no. Hey, you tried. You're free from the blood of that person that rejected the gospel, that rejected the good news. We go to people's doors, and people probably haven't been to that door in centuries. You know, there's places here that are centuries old, and people have lived from these in these houses over and over again, and there probably hasn't been someone that knocked some of these doors that we knocked today for a long time and came with the true gospel to preach to them and they just reject it. But you know what? You're free from the blood of those people. Just like the Apostle Paul said, hey, I'll take you to record this day. I am pure from the blood of all men. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 16. The Bible says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So there's a woe. What does that mean? It's it's hurt. It's destruction. It's 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 he's saying, Woe unto me. Hey, this made bad things happen to me if I don't preach the gospel. That was the apostle Paul's attitude. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men. Be strong. Hey, men, we gotta be, you know, there's a lot of wimpy looking men out there today. Dress strong, look strong, act strong. When you get to the door, be strong. Quit you like men, be strong. It says, let all your things be done with charity. I beseech you, brethren, you know that the house of, you know the house of Stephanus that is the first fruits of Achaia and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. You know what I see when I look at this church? I see a lot of people addicted to the ministry. You know what our ministry is? The ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation was is what... Our job is, and I see a lot of people in here addicted to that ministry. Praise God for that. Don't lose that zeal, though. Because, like I said before in another sermon, you know, the newness is going to wear off. When you start doing something all the time, it's not going to feel as special. You've been going for seven months. You've been going for more than seven months. Some of you guys have been doing soul winning for a long time. But don't lose your zeal. Go out of duty. Because... You know, you're not always going to feel addicted to the ministry. But while you're feeling it right now, get out there and do it. Hey, even when you're not feeling addicted to the ministry, maybe you don't feel like going out sewing. Maybe your body hurts. Maybe you're hurting. But go and try and do what you can and and do it out of duty because you know what? You're going to get that zeal back again. And just keep fighting. Keep trying to finish the mark. Try, try to get to that mark and finish your course. Number five, beware of wolves and sheep's clothing. Beware of wolves and sheep's clothing. I'm going to finish off the last 15 minutes here talking about this. I think this is a very important point, and I know it's kind of a negative point, but it is important. Look at verse number 29 in our text, Acts chapter 20, verse 29. 
It says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. One of the things that we need to get is that there are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. It's, it was warned about by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was warned about by the Apostle Paul. It was warned about by John. It was warned about by Peter. It was warned over and over again. It's, there's so many warnings about false prophets in the New Testament. Why? Because they're going to increase as we get closer to the end times. Yeah. And there's teachers having itching ears. You know, these heaps and heaps of teachers. Do you think there's more godly, Bible-believing pastors and preachers than there are false prophets? You're out of your mind if you think that. I mean, if you just rounded up all the pastors in, in England, how many of them do you think have been saved? A few? A few? Yeah. Yeah. Only yeah. few. Yeah, only a few. That's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? But that's what it's like everywhere in the world. There's probably countries where there might not even be a saved pastor. I mean, the world has gotten worse. And the Apostle Paul is sitting here saying, Hey, hey, after my departing, grievous wolves shall, you know, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So he's saying, hey, even of your own selves shall men arise. Even people within this church, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. What's the goal? To speak perverse things, to, to make up lies, to draw people out of this church. And hey, when wolves get exposed, sometimes they drag the sheep out with them. They want to try to destroy as many people as they can, so they act all innocent. Oh, I can't believe that they're doing this. I can't believe they're kicking me out. Sometimes people have to get kicked out. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. Yeah. You know, Ian's probably going to have to kick somebody out at some point. You know, and I'm not saying go hunting, Brother Ian, you know, and, and looking for people to kick out because, you know, despite what people say, we don't just aren't, we're not on a hair trigger to just kick people out. You know, if someone gets kicked out, they deserve to get kicked out, period. I haven't even had to kick out that many people, but I've had people leave. I've had people leave that I asked not to come back because, it was revealed that there were wolves. Look at what, what, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. To have an Acts 20 vision, we need to realize, we need to see that there's going to be wolves in sheep's clothing that are going to come in. And no matter how, look, Paul said that in the space of three years, I cease not. That means he didn't stop. I cease not to warn Everyone, night and day with tears. Sounds like he preached about it a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Night and day. He was with tears. He didn't stop. And then people will be like, Pastor Thompson, you talking about he follows prophets too much. Well, the Apostle Paul talked about it a lot, apparently, too. He was warning people. You know, I don't preach every sermon about false prophets. You know, there is some other things I preach about, but it's an important topic because it happens. All the time in churches. And which ones does Satan want to infiltrate the most? The ones that are doing the most work. The ones that are doing the most good. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. What's Jesus say? Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So Jesus said that there's going to be, beware of these people. You know, but no matter how many times I preach about stuff like this, it seems like when someone leaves, or someone turns on our church or something like that, then other people go with them. And it's just like, did you not hear the sermons that I preached about this? Have you not read the Bible where it just over and over again expounds on this and talks about this? And people are just like, oh, well, I think they're good. I think they're right. Sometimes legit legitimate bona fide Christians get pulled out of churches over false prophets. That's why Jesus said to beware of them. That's why the Apostle Paul warned about them day and night. And you know what? They turn, Is the church of Ephesus around anymore? Does anybody know? Anybody been to Turkey and, and been to the site of Ephesus? You know, is there a, a you know, dragon-slaying, King James-only Baptist church 
just tearing it up. You know, obviously it'd be a different language, but <laughs> you know, good a good Bible version. They're just tearing up the preaching. You know, is is the church of Ephesus still around? Jesus said he was going to remove their candlestick if they didn't repent and do the first works. So I think that that happened long ago. I'm pretty sure there's not a great Baptist church in, in the place where Ephesus was. And why? Well, you know, when you let false prophets in and then you just allow them to just tear up the sheep, then it's going to tear up your church. And we need to be warned about that. Jesus said, beware. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 11. Matthew chapter 24, verse number 11. The Bible says, and many false prophets shall rise. Does it say a few? No, it says many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Does it say they're going to just deceive a few people? No, it says many, doesn't it? They're going to deceive people. Look at verse 24. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. This is how good they are. That if it were possible, they would deceive the elect. The very saved people that he's trying to warn. You know, he's just saying, hey, they're going to do so many things that make you think that they're really saved. But you will have the Holy Spirit. You'll know the difference at this time. Look at Mark chapter 13, verse 22. Mark chapter 13, verse 22. I'm going to try to just rifle through some of these. Mark chapter 13, verse 22. It says, For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. A parallel passage there. And look at Luke chapter 6, verse 26. Matthew, Mark, Luke 6, 26. It says, Woe unto you, when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to who? The false prophets. You know, if people didn't hate me, then you might wonder if I'm a false prophet. Right? Because the false prophets, everybody likes them. Everybody liked Billy Graham. Everybody liked Rabbi Zacharias. All these, you know, bum, loser, false prophets. And, you know, Rabbi Zacharias was very careful about his doctrine. He didn't let a lot out on the internet saying what he believed. But he was a false prophet. Right? He was a loser. He was a false prophet. He's roasted in hell. Just like Billy Graham and just like his son, Franklin Graham, is going to be roasted in hell someday. People get mad about that kind of preaching. But look, these guys are false prophets. They're the worst kind of scumbags that you could possibly imagine. What do they want to do? They want to kill, destroy. They work for the devil. And we're like, oh, I don't know. You know, maybe they could get saved. They used to be saved. What are you talking about? They were never saved. Like Billy Graham used to preach like he never preached right. People loved him because he was a false prophet. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. And people are like, he doesn't even say he's a prophet. It doesn't matter if they say they're a prophet or not. Teacher, prophet, whatever you want to call it. Look at what 2 Peter says in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, but there were false prophets also among the people, talking about the Old Testament, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So there was false prophets then. You know what? But there is false prophets now because Jesus said to beware of false prophets. So does that mean in the, it's talking about in the future, right? So he's calling them false prophets. So people that say this thing like, there's not even prophets anymore. It's like, yeah, there is. There are false prophets. You know, are you calling Jesus a liar? Because he said, you know, beware, you know, that so did their father, the false prophets. So he also said, um, there'll be false Christ and false prophets. So Jesus is right and you were wrong. First John chapter four, verse number one. First John chapter four, verse number one. The Bible says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many, what's it say? False prophets are gone out into the world. So we, you, don't have, you don't believe everybody. You try them. What do you try about them? What, what, what is, is what they're saying matching up to this book? If it's not matching up to this book, then they're a false prophet. If they're teaching salvation by anything but grace through faith, 
false prophet. Yes, if they're preaching the word of God and they're saying you got to repent of all your sins, and they mean you really got to repent of all your sins, that person's a false prophet. Amen. Now, I will agree that sometimes people get mixed up and preachers get mixed up with this, but here's the thing. If they, if they can't be corrected on that issue, then what does that, what does that tell you about them? If somebody just gently tells that pastor, hey, you know, the Bible doesn't teach that repenting of your sins is a work, and then you show them the scriptures about it, and they're like, no, you still have to repent of all your sins. It's two sides of the same coin. You know, you got to repent. you got to be sorry for your sins, or you can't be saved. That's a false prophet. Amen. I don't care what anybody says. That's a false prophet. If they cannot be corrected on that doctrine, they're preaching a false gospel, they're preaching lies, that's not how you get saved. Amen. It says many false prophets are gone out in the world. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. I'm getting close to my deadline here. Oh, my watch says 1723. I got eight minutes. All right, another, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them into bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So the person that's, the, the, you know, this, this parable is talking about how there's going to be wheat and tares that grow together. There's going to be, in the congregation, there'll be wheat and tares. But, you know, sometimes we'll know like as a pastor, sometimes we get a little bit different of discernment than other people do. And I'm not saying better, we're better than anybody or anything like that. But as a pastor, I see things that other people don't see in the church. And, you know, and I'm sure Brother Ian has that same discernment. Um, but the thing is, is that sometimes you're just like, oh, I don't know about this person, you know. And, and I, I don't like to think bad about anybody. But the Bible says we're not supposed to say anything until we know for sure. You know, that's, that's basically what it's saying. Don't, don't pull them up. You know, if I thought somebody was bad and I don't have the goods on them, I'm not going to say anything. You know, but once I have the goods on them, that's when I'm going to say something. Once they reveal themselves, sometimes these people just reveal themselves. They can't help it anymore. Sometimes people are just total clowns when they first come to church. But, you know, you're not always going to be, you know, some people are just better hiding it than others. But rest assured that the Bible's true that there will be tares among the wheat, and we have to be on guard for this, right? If someone's saying weird stuff, look, sometimes we like to give people the benefit of the doubt because they're our friends. And look, I'm not saying go on some kind of heretic hunt here, okay? I'm just saying that sometimes we'll give people that we're friends with the benefit of the doubt because we want to see the best in people, and most Christians are like that. But don't don't forget about those weird things, <laughs> you know? And in and don't go out around just trying to route people out. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that once they're revealed, that's when it's time to kick them out. We don't go around trying to remove tears without uh, knowing for sure that that's what they are. And honestly, the ones you don't see coming are the ones that you got to worry about. Because like, weren't the apostles, weren't they fooled by Judas? They yeah. were, weren't they? Yeah. So, you know, and sometimes I've picked a couple people that turned out to be bozos as leadership. I've befriended and trusted people that turned out to be losers and bozos and haters of God later on. But, you know, Jesus knew who Judas was. But, you know, none of the other guys thought that. Everybody else thought Judas was great. The guy we went out, you know, talking to, preaching the gospel today, he thought Judas was great too. He thought Judas died for your sins or something. I don't know. It was weird. But what I'm saying to you is this, you know, it's the one you don't see coming that you got to worry about. Mm. And you're not always going to see that person. Sometimes, you know, when you're not in church for a long time or you've never been to a Baptist church, you don't know how to behave yourself in the house of the Lord. It seems like everybody here is doing a pretty good job at that. But, uh, you know, some people just, 
if you're not in church, you're a little weird, okay? You're, you you kind of have a little bit of quirks about you. Maybe something, you know, you have some real strong feelings about certain doctrine. But um, it, it doesn't mean that that person is, is a wolf. Maybe they just need to be straightened out. Maybe they just do, need to be three to thrive in church. But anyway, I'm going to finish up here. We got to be careful about the false prophets, but I, I don't want you going around heretic hunting people and stuff. Just let the leadership deal with that kind of stuff. But obviously, if someone's just doing something really weird or something, maybe come to Ian about it or whatever, um, or me. So, but anyway, let's finish up here. Acts chapter 20, verse 25, it says, And now behold, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Skip down to verse 32. It says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, yourselves know that these ha hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. And I have showed you all things, how so laboring you ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Look at verse 36, and it says, and When he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all, and they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorry most of all about the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto his ship. Now, it's a possibility that you might not ever see my face anymore. And I'm not comparing myself to the Apostle Paul. I'm just saying I'm a visitor in this country, and I'll do my best to get back here. But, you know, you know, the reason why we didn't announce this trip in the first place is just because they would have tried to get me banned for sure. Okay. So is it, a, is it a possibility that I might be banned for life from here? It's a possibility, you know, and I'm sure that they'll try. So, but I can't predict, you know, what will happen after this trip, you know, whether I'll be allowed to return or not. But I will say this, regardless of whether you see my face again here in England, I'm still your pastor. I still care about you. We pray for you all every single week and I'll do my best to make myself available to you should you ever need me. And I hope it's not the last time I see your faces. Well, maybe some of you, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just joking. No, I, I want to see your faces again. I, I just want to say I've been blessed on this whole trip and uh, hopefully I get to come back. That's my goal. But even if I don't, I want you to still press towards the mark Amen. of the high calling of God and Christ Jesus. And regardless of whether I ever get to come back here again or not, you need to keep the course. You need to finish your faith. You need to set yourself towards the mark and finish, all right, regardless of what happens. Because, you know, we can still do great things for God, even if I can never come back here again. So and I, I have faith in this church that, that it's going to grow and do great things. So let's pray uh, and dismiss in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for this wonderful day, this wonderful trip. Lord, I pray that once again that you would uh, just just protect this church, Lord, and help them, help Brother Ian and Miss Lisa, help the leadership here, and uh, just all the people here in our church, Lord, they're all uh, play an important role in the integrity of this church, and they all have a sp specific purpose in the body of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you just bless each and every one of them, help them to be strong, and help them to be courageous, and uh, just pray that you'd help them uh, to finish what they've started, Lord, and that many churches would would come forth out of this church, Lord, and I pray that you just bless them. In Jesus' name pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's sing another song.